Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forest Shirts Podcast, What It Means. We explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And here with us today are two guests, Laura Ketzel, VP and Group Director on the phone from Amsterdam, and Carl Doty, VP and Group Director in the studio, to talk about the implications of autonomous vehicles. And to just let you know, today's episode will be aired in two parts. Welcome to you both. Thanks. Glad to be here. Glad to be here as well. So at least in the U.S. and maybe less so in parts of Europe, the car has been a cornerstone of our culture. It's a rite of passage for some. It's For many, it's a, it's a sense of their personal brand. It's a sense of freedom and independence. And here we have this phenomenon of autonomous vehicles. What's causing that shift from car as cultural icon to autonomous vehicle as sort of the mark for the future? Well, I, I'd say it's... Um it's part evolution, at least certainly in the near term here, right? We have a lot of autonomous functions in our vehicles already today, whether it's ABS brakes or cruise control or, you know, if you're driving a Tesla, even some, some semi-autonomous uh, driving there as well. But what's really shaping this phenomenon is just the, you know, getting out of the consumer space for a minute and talking about autonomous transport. Um, the, the enabling technology around IoT Artificial intelligence and, and uh, uh, autonomous technologies in general are are really sort of reshaping the nature of transport. So that's a that's an important cut you're making, which is often the the sort of the dreamy aspects of this focus on the consumer side, but you just expanded the aperture. You just widened it by saying, no, no, she'd look at transport as a broader concept. I actually go further than that and say that the personal vehicle story that you see so often in the popular press is actually a sideshow. The real story here is everything else. It's all the rest of transport. Because as many personal vehicles as there are, and they'll be very interesting to have those be autonomous in a whole range of regions, there's far more freight transport. And here you're thinking about you know everything from container ships to inland waterway vessels to trucks on the roads, to trains on the rails, to uh, delivery of packages by air. And when you add all that up, the changes to how those things work based on all the autonomous vehicle technology and kind of supporting infrastructure that Carl talked about, to which I'd add ubiquitous connectivity and all the sensors that go into the vehicles that are being automated, the personal vehicles are actually... I mean, they're not a footnote, but they're a small part of the picture. So going back to Carl's point, this concept of this as a natural evolution, one could easily see why the logistics and shipping environment would want to see these kinds of things. It's efficient, it's predictable, it's economical. Is that phenomenon driving the personal car into this space, or is there a separate phenomenon happening on the personal car side as well? You know, I, I think on the personal car side, it's um, it varies widely by region and also by generation, right? Um, myself being a middle-aged male American, I'm, I'm part of that, that generation who was just, my whole identity was wrapped up in getting my license as a kid and, and being able to drive wherever I wanted to go. Um, but today, I think um, the younger generations are a bit different, especially in urban centers, right? Car sharing uh, applications are, are much more prevalent. Um, it's actually become inconvenient for a lot of younger folks to uh, to own their own vehicle. So speaking as the, the other half of this Dara who lives in Europe and thus is much less excited about, about cars, uh, I would say that 
what Carl said is not is is true in a lot of places, but it goes further than that because the biggest problem with personal vehicles in congested, mostly urban areas, is parking. And so, if you look into the utilization of private vehicles, uh, they did this in the UK a while back, and I think the number is something like personal vehicles in the UK sit parked 95% of the time. The amount of capital that eliminating a bunch of those private vehicles and replacing them with shared autonomous vehicles would free up is just staggering, let alone all of the other sort of positive knock-on effects of autonomous vehicles. And then if you go further, if the vehicles become fully autonomous and so you don't need to park them in all these places because they just come when you call, it allows you to reshape how you think about a congested urban environment. So all all the things that are mainstays of city planning in a lot of places, like parking minimums, all those things go away. And so even over the very long term, cities start to look fundamentally different as a result. So let's take a learning from transport and shipping for a second, which is trucks and generally ships look like, independent of their maker or their owner. So as opposed to what you see in the consumer side where you see significant variance among the brands in terms of look and feel and both the inside and outside the car, is that phenomenon where you get certain economies in building it and certain economies in the logistics of it, is that going to flow into the consumer space where we can, we can start to see less diversity in the brand differences of the outside of the car? I think so. I mean, in the in in the longer term, what's on the outside of those vehicles because there's going to be a lot less private ownership of them. So the reason ships and trucks and things look alike is because their owners are all just trying to do a job with them, not make a personal statement in most cases. And so over the long term, the same will hold true for things of the approximate size of today's individual cars, because what will start to matter a lot more is what's on the inside and not what's on the outside, because the people in the cars won't be driving them. And so what they'll be doing instead is conducting leisure activities, doing work, all the kinds of things that people do when they don't actually have to keep their eyes on the road. Yeah, so you're talking about services available within the car and media and entertainment and so on. In a lot of ways, when we get to meaningful adoption in the consumer space of, of this kind of technology and vehicles, there's still going to be differentiation amongst vehicles because consumers, frankly, they demand to be different. They demand that uniqueness, as we've talked about in a lot of our other research at, at Forrester. Uh, the, the difference in this market is going to be, instead of differentiating on engine and the design on the outside or the transmission or what you know those typical components of a vehicle they're going to differentiate on the experiences inside the vehicle which is what Laura was alluding to there the inside of the vehicle itself literally becomes almost a, a screen an immersive experience and, and that's how we think uh, the auto manufacturers frankly are going to differentiate in the future yeah that's that tr- that trend is sort of running in parallel with autonomous vehicles because we're already seeing the car shift from a a, a performance platform to a media and information platform. Mm-hmm. Today, a lot of the talk around the infotainment technology inside of our, our, our newer vehicles uh, is focused on the fact that it's a distraction to drivers. Well, when it's not a distraction that causes accidents anymore, suddenly it becomes, people aren't Because people aren't driving. Right. Yeah. It becomes the way to differentiate. So, Laura, you had expanded the scope of transportation when we first started ta- talking about autonomous vehicles. What are ways of thinking or, or buckets that uh, we should be thinking in terms of transportation? 
So this is basically anything that moves people or goods from point A to point B. So that ranges from ships of all sizes to trains to tractors in the agricultural sector uh, to trucks and the things that will the, the things that will replace today's trucks and even to re- delivery drones of varying sizes uh, the people at DHL are testing what they call parcel copters to deliver packages to people's houses so anything that does transport can use mostly the same enabling technologies that we talked about at the very beginning to make that transport much more autonomous. How should I think of sort of air traffic control in that concept? And what I mean by that is the control of the varying cars on highways is done by the rules of the road, the laws, the speed limit, those types of things. I go into drones. We're still working through how that will play out in the air. Ships have shipping lanes and some rules associated with that. Does it change the way that we think of the logistics or rulemaking associated with those different transports? It will do, yeah, because the rules of the road, like you pointed out, uh, are adapted to the cognitive abilities of the humans doing the driving. And the fact that that level varies across the various road users and trucks are heavier, so they need longer to stop and all of these things. In an environment where those vehicles are majority piloted by autonomous vehicle technology coupled with vehicle-to-infrastructure communication, which is the vehicles of whatever time talking to the infrastructure, be that roads and bridges and signaling infrastructure to, you know, ship waterway controllers and canal slouses and things like this. Uh, All of that stuff allows for tighter coordination and thus different rules of the road, the transportation, the vehicles themselves can move faster, they can move closer together, they can do different sorts of things that wouldn't have been advisable in a world where the humans are doing the driving. Because it turns out when you look at this, humans are actually terrible drivers. So the U.S. highway safety folks collect reams of data on this, and the conclusion is that vehicle accidents are caused by, 94% of them are caused by driver error. So everyone who thinks about, well, what's going to happen when the autonomous vehicle has to make a choice of whether to crash into another bus or to drive off a road, what you realize is that humans make those decisions all the time, and we make them really poorly in aggregate. And so the autonomous vehicles can improve a lot faster than we can because the technology can learn a lot faster than the humans can learn to drive better. So they will certainly make mistakes or what we will regard as mistakes, but they will be a lot less terrible than we are. And is it changing? I mean, one, one, one aspect of this is the, the vehicle itself. The other aspect is what the vehicle is driving on or flying in. Does the government have to play an active role now in thinking about the, the underlying infrastructure, whether that's ground or air or water, to facilitate these types of things? And do they see that as a big revenue push going forward in the next, let's say, five, 10 years? Yeah, abs- absolutely. I think, um, you know, one of the points that we made in this research is that for uh, the first time in a long time, we believe governments are actually going to lead some of this. That, you know, when is the last time you heard about government leading the technology itself, right? Um, governments are going to have to invest in connected infrastructure, in new navigation systems, in uh, different ways of performing urban planning, 
right? Is this at the so, state level, the federal level, or combination both, of both? Yeah. Uh, all, all of the above, mm-hmm. right? And we're already starting to see some of those changes and and. Uh, in, in global cities like a, like a Singapore or, um, you know, look at some of the tax implications of cities like London, urban centers like that, that um, frankly, they've been dealing with this for years, uh, not so much out of autonomy, but from a tax revenue and infrastructure planning perspective, um, there's a lot of government regulation that needs to occur and already has occurred in some places like that. Yeah. I mean, because autonomous vehicle technology has been around a lot longer than most people think, because it, it, in the sort of popular imagination, it seems to have you know sprung onto the scene with with Teslas and uh, Uber and Google testing things, but that's actually not the case at all. So. John Deere has been producing tractors with autonomous steering since 2002. That's in production. You could buy them in 2002. So what that means is the regulators and so on have actually had much more time than we think to to think about this, like Carl said. And so you look at things like the UK's recent modern transport bill from the beginning of this year, and there's actually a whole section on handling autonomous vehicles. And so insurance consortia have been talking about how are we going to handle a liability in the cases of accidents involving autonomous vehicles and whose claims get paid and how for years. So there's a lot of that regulatory and sort of consortium level groundwork that's already been laid. There will definitely be a lot of bumps and bruises along the way because this is a big shift like we talked about earlier, but the infrastructure planning is further along than you think. So let's imagine, you know, we're 10 years in the future what are the implications to a variety of domains? So, you know, the auto industry, logistics and shipping, insurance, government, media and entertainment, safety, security, and privacy. I imagine there are a lot of implications there. But, uh, Carl, let's start with auto. Sure. In the auto space, uh, we're, if we're 10 years out now, right, yep. um, we've seen by now some meaningful consumer adoption of vehicle autonomy at this point. So advanced stages of, of vehicle autonomy. We've, uh, we've seen vehicle, to, vehicle communication standards now established. We've seen... Um, Meaning vehicles talking to one another? Yes. Yep. Yes. So the technologies around the connectivity of the cars, yep. they have to communicate electronically now with other vehicles in proximity, yep. as well as infrastructure that's within proximity of those vehicles as well. Uh, so that'll be driven a lot by consortiums of uh, the auto OEMs as well as technology companies uh, and governments, frankly, right? I think a lot of that consumer adoption will be focused on very populated urban areas, right? Um, driving enthusiasts like myself will resist it. We'll start to see uh, long-haul trucking routes, for example. So in the automotive space, that the trucks themselves might be fully autonomous, and controlled by a human back in a control center, wherever the you know the DHL, the UPS, the FedEx happens to be based. Does the car maker as a company fundamentally change in that period of time? Absolutely. Um, otherwise, they die. Frankly, any car company that is today not trying to figure out how to become a technology company will die in the future. Um, and you know the the interviews we've conducted confirm that. Uh, one particular brand who shall remain nameless, but you'll get their slogan when the ultimate driving machine is no longer being driven by a human, what does that company become, mm. right? And uh, I think they're mostly in agreement. They, they need to adapt. They need to become much more tech savvy. And frankly, as we've said, 
uh, most brands, regardless of industry, need to become software companies eventually. And I may be cheating a bit because government was named off as a separate item, but it, it strikes me that one of the challenges of, of cars or automotive is that highways are invariably inefficient. They have to deal with the idea that you have a variety of sizes and skills, shapes and speeds going down the highway. Mm-hmm. And so as I go to a, an area where you have a majority of autonomous vehicles that are shaped in a similar fashion and that abide by certain rules and then have, you know, different signaling going among the cars, does it take burden away from the infrastructure building that is envisioned if nothing happened? I think it puts a lot of burden on the infrastructure building, frankly, and that's what I was referring to earlier when I said the governments are going to have to play an enormous role here. The infrastructure itself needs to change, right? Today, it's- From a standpoint of intelligence, but if I think of it as in terms of laying bridges or laying tar, does that change? Because I'm going to use that physical space more efficiently. I think it does change because the sensors and connective technology needs to be embedded in the bridges, in the pavement, in the streetlights, et cetera. It's going to take a lot of money. It's going to take a lot of tax revenue. And it's frankly going to take a lot of technology to to enable this to happen. Isn't sort of the the danger uh, in this future would be having you, Carl, on the road plus an autonomous vehicle? So humans and autonomous vehicles at the same time overlapping, right? That's that's much more dangerous than a wholly autonomous environment where, you know, maybe or perhaps, I don't know if you guys talked about this in the report, but perhaps there are just sections of cities that are autonomous vehicle mm-hmm. only. Yeah, I think um, what we're going to see here is that in rural areas, you know, think of, you know, a lot of the areas out in the Midwest or like I grew up in places like Vermont. Um, a lot of folks are still going to be driving themselves, right? But when they're coming into places like Boston or New York, or if you're in Europe and you're going into London or Amsterdam, uh, it's going to become eventually illegal to manually drive your vehicle in urban centers like that. It's already extremely costly to drive in cities like a London or or Singapore. Um, And not only is it going to become costly in the future, it's going to become, frankly, totally illegal. So that's why we believe a lot of the the, the vehicles themselves, and we talk about full autonomy, there will be the inevitable manual override functionality Mm -hmm. in a lot of these cars like we've seen in, in the airline industry for decades. Uh, but when you go into your urban center, there will be a threshold. There will be a line that you cross. It has. It will have to become autonomous. So I'm going to move to the next one, Laura, which is logistics and shipping. And you made the point earlier that actually in this arena, a form of autonomy is already kind of gone mainstream. I mean, this is essentially how they run their business, and there's natural and pragmatic forces underway to, to bring this into view much faster. So where are we in the logistics and shipping space, and where do you expect us to be in 10 years? Sure. So shipping and logistics is further along because of the compelling economics of eliminating the human labor costs associated with moving goods all over the place in all the formats. Soon as it's legally permitted, there will be at first, so sooner than 10 years, mind you, human-directed platoons of autonomous trucks, for sure. And so what that'll look like is I'm the human driver driving the first truck, and then there's three autonomous trucks following me and doing what I do and stopping when I stop and all of those kinds of things and learning from that experience. That will happen sooner than 10 years. 
the we did some some work on U.S. labor market data to figure out what's this going to what's this going to do to the jobs market because that's one of the big uh, dystopian boogeymen, if you will, of the folks who are real skeptical about autonomous vehicles, as in they'll cause mass technological unemployment and millions and millions of people all over the world will be out of work. And it's true that there will be fewer jobs in driving things, so driving trains and driving trucks and driving ships, but there will also be a bunch of new jobs created because now there won't be as many, mind you, and they'll be more skilled, which creates some composition of the labor force transitional challenges that governments will have to do a good job of dealing with because the job of a software engineer that makes software to drive autonomous vehicles or a robotics engineer who creates think, who creates robot robotic uh, appendages for autonomous ships and so on are very different than the people who drive trucks and ships and so on today. But uh, the new jobs created will also be considerable, be about a third as many as, as the ones lost is our estimate in 2027, so a decade from now. But the first fully autonomous ship uh, will be sailing in Norway, along the coast of Norway, delivering fertilizer in 2018. And when you talk to people who run ports, like Carl said before, they expect autonomous ships to be docking at their ports, like here at the port of Rotterdam, within five years. So logistics and shipping are changing quickly. In 10 years, logistics and shipping will already look almost unrecognizably different. So for trucking and for rail, those are shared infrastructures. And we often think of rail as either sort of public transportation or or shipping, but the car is really the consumer domain here. Should we start to think of it differently in 10 years where it's just not true that you have highways for people and rail for public transportation, for mass transport, and then for, and for shipping? We start seeing it as that they're going to find the most economical method to put wheels on things. I think that's right. I mean, it's probably still not going to result in a whole load of personal-sized vehicles being appended to trains, uh, for example. But shipping and logistics will find the most efficient fastest or cheapest or whatever optimal combination of both way of getting the goods from point A to point B. And that will involve whatever modes of transport it needs to involve based on the environment it's operating in. And you, with with autonomy, you can eliminate a lot of the sort of delays in logistics and shipping, which not only relate to sort of waiting around for people to do things, but also relate to the inefficiencies of moving between mode of transport A and mode of transport B. And autonomy won't eliminate the cost of transitioning from one mode to another, but it should make some of those transitions a lot smoother because you won't be overlapping the cost of changing mode with the cost of whatever humans need to be around to change mode and drive the new mode and all of that. The, the, the economics here really become about speed as well. And I think especially in the shipping and logistics industry, um, you're going to see hybrid modes of transportation, right? It might be a long haul trucking route, um, completely autonomous. And when it gets to the city of its destination, that last mile might be done via the parcel copter that, that Laura mentioned earlier, right? And no human will touch that, that, uh, that package from the time it leaves the original 
uh, the, the origin to the time it gets to the destination. So I'm going to move us to the third dom- domain, which is insurance. And I imagine that there are huge implications for this industry, both from a consumer perspective, but also for the enterprise. Um, so maybe you could touch on that a little bit. Absolutely. So um, conventional wisdom would hold that um, the auto insurance industry, for example, is going to go out of business, right? Uh, there, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of hype around that. What we found as we kind of dug into this a little bit is that um, that's not necessarily the case. And what's going to happen in the near term is, and this sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but insurance rates or premiums are going to go up. And they're going to go up because of the uncertainty about the technology. They're going to go up because of the increased cost of the vehicles themselves, particularly in the consumer space. Um, That'll keep premiums high for some time, especially over the, you know, let's say the first decade of this transformation. So that goes to the concept of um, I'm not going to replace the car, sort of a physical thing. I'm replacing a whole bunch of technology that's costly, maybe one of a kind. I mean, the cost per, the embedded cost in the vehicle is going to be very different in five or 10 years than it is today. Absolutely. If there's uh, a fully autonomous vehicle or even a semi-autonomous vehicle that's equipped with LiDAR, that's the technology from a company called uh, Waymo that enables a lot of that proximity sensor uh, capability. Um, When that first came out, that was a $30,000 piece of equipment. Uh, the costs are coming way down as technology, you know, that, that, that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they're saying that'll come down to about $7,500 within, within a few years. But if your bumpers and your doors and all the components on the car are embedded with all these sensors and, and, and Wi-Fi and everything, that, that's going to be increase the cost of the vehicles in the short term here. And insurers are worried about that. They're also worried about the complexity of determining liability when accidents do occur. Um, Autonomy is not going to reduce accident rates to zero. It's just, it's not going to be possible. Um, It'll cut it significantly. But when those fewer accidents do occur, who's at fault if a human wasn't driving either vehicle involved, right? That becomes uh, an increased cost on the part of the insurance companies to determine that liability. Uh, They'll have to spend more on underwriters. Underwriters themselves will have to um, learn new skills, uh, to learn this technology, to uncover what those liabilities are. Well, you can imagine underwriting is going to be a significant target area for artificial intelligence and Absolutely. some of that, you know, b- better decisioning. I mean, you, you can look at the insurance industry and they're already underway. They already have Internet of Things devices that are mm-hmm. doing policies. Usage-based insurance is already in vogue. We're going to see much more on-demand insurance because the millennials aren't an ownership culture. And so you're already seeing them think about a policy structure very different in the future than there is, what I say, a couple of years ago. But it does change the very fabric of what is a vehicle that is being insured. Exactly. I think um, the entire industry is going to sort of flip in terms of, of mindset here. What, today, we all own car insurance policies for our vehicles that are annual subscriptions, essentially, and we pay on a monthly basis. Uh, tomorrow, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, um, it'll all be short-term based or usage-based insurance. Um, imagine uh, younger generations, urbanites living in New York City. They don't own a vehicle. They use a ride-sharing service, and that sh- service is completely autonomous. What do they do? They use a mobile app to order their vehicle, and in the process of ordering that vehicle, they're also enrolling in that usage-based insurance for the time that they're going to be in that vehicle. Yeah, the difference going forward is that I'm going to separate out personal liability from automotive liability or the car liability, which is if I don't own the car and and Google owns the car or some company to be named later mm-hmm. owns the car and makes all the decisions because I'm simply a passenger. It's no mm-hmm. different than being in a taxi at some level. Mm-hmm. I may do on-demand personal liability 
but I but I don't I don't control the outcome of how, if what happens with a car or right. or how the highway signals the car and is the government at risk is the uh, you know who's at risk in a highly interconnected environment where signaling is sort of carrying the day. All of the above, right? Uh, the government is at risk. Uh, the, uh, the city government is at risk. Uh, the infrastructure manufacturers are at risk, right? So uh, the whole nature of, it, of the insurance industry is going to change. So we didn't make the call in this report that auto insurance are going out of business. They're not, but their business model will be completely flipped upside down. And they're already thinking about this today. Thanks, Carl. We're going to stop here, and you can hear Carl and Laura next week when we discuss the remaining domains to be affected by autonomous vehicles. Government, media and entertainment, safety, security, and privacy. Thanks for listening.